Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? My name is Reverend Ann Dunlap. I'm a UCC pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about me at fiercerevremedies.com. And I also coordinate faith work for showing up for racial justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE Faith. I'm grateful, as always, to be with you wherever you are listening to this right now. I'm back in our prayer room this afternoon. It was a very sunny and warm morning, but the day has turned cloudy and cool. We're hopeful this means rain is coming, so we desperately need the moisture and are already having forest fires here in Colorado. As I look out the window, there are plenty of birds and squirrels, and we have our first daffodil blooms. Tulips are on their way shortly, and some of our herbs are starting to green up with gorgeous, tiny baby leaves. The lilacs are greening out too, and I've had my first cups of fresh dandelion flower tea the last few days. Spring is here. This means my allergies are here too, which you may hear in my sniffly voice, but I'm grateful for the shift now from winter. Spring is here spiraling outward with its new life and growing daylight and all the potential ready to burst from buds. Take a breath. What signs of spring have you noticed where you are? Breathe. Remember we hold this cycle within our bodies too. Spiraling in, spiraling out, fallow times forming into buds, waiting for just the right moment to bloom. What new life is waiting to spiral out from you? What new life is waiting to bloom from you? Breathe. We give thanks for this shifting of seasons fallow winter to budding spring. Amen. So today I want to offer you an overview of Romans, my overview of Romans. Although in the lectionary we've already read three of the four snippets of Romans, I still feel it's important to offer this given the times we're in and given the way Romans has been historically used to harm rather than to liberate. The lectionary texts we're given are Romans 5, 12 through 19, that was March 5th. <clears throat> Romans 4, 1 through 5, 13 through 17, that was the 12th. Romans 5, 1 through 11, that was uh, this past Sunday, the 19th. And Romans 8, 6 through 11, which is this coming Sunday, the 26th. And really, we're going to look at the whole of the letter, all of the letter in less than 30 minutes. I know, right? Do 
I want to tell you a story. I was 17 years old on a Presbytery youth work trip to Reynosa, Mexico, on the border from McAllen, Texas. The summer before, in 1986, yes, almost 31 years ago, yes, God called this tender-hearted 16-year-old into the work of justice and dismantling oppression. A story for another day, but suffice to say when I said yes, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Nevertheless, <clears throat> by the following summer when, I, the, when the uh, opportunity came to see for myself the injustice I had only heard or read about, to put my body somewhere else into a different reality other, other than my relatively mainstream white southern middle-class Protestant upbringing, I went. So that's how I found myself on a bus full of Arkansas teenagers and our chaperones heading from Hot Springs down through Texas to the border. Somewhere on that drive, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Texas, we noticed something odd about one of our chaperones. I don't remember her name anymore, but I remember her kind face. I remember she worked hard. And I remember her smile when I asked her, Hey, why don't your socks match? Oh, she said, that's to remind me of what Paul says in Romans, to not be conformed to this world. It helps me remember. I'm not kidding, that's what she said. I'm sure some of my uh, teenage peers rolled their eyes, but I tell you, I was caught, intrigued. Do not be conformed to this world. These words of Paul lodged in my heart and resounded there as we immersed our bodies into the reality of life on the border. Utter poverty on one side in the shanty towns where the only water source was a stream contaminated by chemicals from a U.S. company where we bore our bodies out working and playing with Mexican kids and learning and utter comfort on the other side in the enormous empty white church where we went back each night to shower, eat, and sleep. Do not be conformed to this world, to whatever makes the world like this, the words seem to say to me. I could get into that. Thirty years later, Romans is my favorite thing in the whole Bible, which may perhaps be the strangest thing you've ever heard from a queer, anti-racist, feminist, liberationist, herbalist, whatever else label I could claim. And it's true. Believe it. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing I want to tell you. I think we've gotten Romans all wrong. That's why I'm starting with this story about chapter 12, which is not actually one of the lectionary texts, but I don't think anymore we can understand Romans without where it ends up. We've gotten the question wrong. Or maybe better put, way back when some Christ followers took the bribe from Rome for comfort, for access, for power, we lost what Romans was for. By the time we got to Augustine, Western Christianity was bought, bribed, and lost. 
if you are the heart of the empire now, if you have adopted its structures, its titles, its symbols, its gestures, its hierarchies, if you have adopted its power and its wealth and its might, if the symbol of your religion now flies on Constantine's flag, then why would you take care to notice Paul's total, utter takedown of Roman imperial logic? Who does it benefit when we reduce the richness of Romans if we disappear every anti-imperial detail down to a question of how can we find a gracious God? That's not the question Paul is dealing with. And I know I'm probably about to upset a lot of y'all, but that's not the question. That question was answered in Torah, that a loving God found us. No, that's not the question in this letter to a particular subgroup of the community Paul addresses in Rome. Now listen, it's kind of ridiculous that I've given myself less than half an hour to undo with you 2,000 years of misinterpretation, but here it goes. And as always, with resources at the end. So, the crux of everything in Romans is this. Paul's defense of God's sovereignty in the face of Rome and Caesar. What Paul is arguing against is not some totally invented and offensive idea of what Judaism never was. Paul is arguing against the logic of Rome and how it has infected Roman members of the assembly. Every logic of Rome is turned on its head by Paul, and the logics of Rome are rife throughout the letter. Piety, Justice, mercy, grace, predestination, obedience, sanctification, law and order, strong and weak, Lord, gospel, preaching the gospel, justification by works, it's inescapable. Even the opening verses strongly echo succession narratives of the Caesars, including Nero. These are all logics of Rome, literally the words of Roman propaganda. Roman imperial theology, if you will, that Paul demolishes in this letter to Romans. We know from all the names listed at the end, this assembly in Rome is a gathering both of folks with systemic power, namely Roman citizens, and folks with less power or none at all, Jews, working class and poor folk, immigrants from other areas in the empire, enslaved folk trying to get free. They meet in the tenements of working people, not the fancy homes of the more privileged Romans. These folks with vulnerable status and little systemic power were easy targets of the empire's oppression. Raids on their tenement homes, unfair taxation, conscription into war, slavery, poor working conditions, the imposition of imperial cult symbols into Jewish spaces. Also, and importantly for this letter's context, within Paul's lifetime, Jews have been expelled from Alexandria and Rome, a convenient target of Caesar's to control and dominate and excuse military-enforced peace and security. Nero allowed Jews to return to Rome, only to make himself look good, merciful, got it? 
He allowed the Jews to return to Rome not long before Paul wrote this letter. Roman propaganda calls those Jewish returned exiles weak. That's not who Paul is talking to in this letter. To be even more clear, Paul is not talking to the whole assembly. Paul is not talking to the Jewish folks in the assembly. See, when Paul starts off this letter with an utter indictment of the Roman way, of Rome's idolatrous worship of Caesar the creature rather than the one God the creator, of Rome's devotion to violence and its insatiable machinery of death, he's reminding the Roman members of this community, those who have systemic power, that the way of Rome is death. It becomes clear over the course of the letter that the Romans are bringing those Roman ways into the community, using their power to claim a place of superiority and judgment and boasting over the others, particularly the Jewish folk. Romans thinking that they are rescued by Roman ways, thinking that they are saved by Roman ways. And so Paul kind of has to put them back in their place if you will. Listen, he says, the ways of Rome are sin and death. The ways of God are life, are love, are liberation, are restoration. The ways of God are salvation, rescue from Rome's ways, rescue from the empire's idolatrous oppression, and the appearance that Roman justice is God's justice. The appearance that the empire will save you the appearance that the empire defines life and worth, the appearance that all lives matter to the empire when clearly to the poor and the enslaved and the women and the immigrants and the Jews and the workers, their lives do not matter except to be exploited for their labor, their land, or their wealth. Listen, Paul says to the Romans, the middle and upper class white people of his day, Listen, Paul the Jew says to the Romans, remember your place in this story. You are joining an ages-old resistance movement. We cut our teeth resisting Pharaoh. We practiced being faithful to God's way in the face of Assyria, in the face of Babylon. They thought they killed us, but we are still here. That's what you are joining, remember. Did we always get it right? Do we? Heck no. But remember, we know deep down in our bodies, in the marrow of our bones, we know a little something about how to resist Rome. We know we are accountable to God, not to Pharaoh or Babylon or Rome. We know that being faithful to God's way, like Jesus was, can cause us to suffer like Jesus did because we will be rejected and marginalized by the empire. And we are not ashamed, because God pours her love into every space we root the empire out of. And we know it's hard sometimes, because even though faithfulness is something you embody, that is, you practice God's way, God's love with your body, your senses, your voice, sometimes, sometimes we have no idea what the right thing is to do. Or we think we do the right thing and it turns out to be the wrong thing. Ha! 
And no, we don't always understand what God is doing, but we trust the mystery. We trust we'll understand it better by and by. We trust in God because it's God who works all things for good. God who makes a way out of no way. God who has never failed us yet. Not Pharaoh, not Babylon, not Rome. God. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God our saver, Savior, God our healer, God our deliverer, and nothing, nothing can separate us from that power, that love, not even the insatiable machinery of death that is the empire. That is the way you have chosen. That is the love you have been baptized into. That is the tree of life you have been grafted onto. And we give every praise to our God for all of this. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, he's built it all up and here we are. Chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, my sisters, my brothers, my siblings and cousins, therefore present your bodies as a living sacrifice and do not be conformed to this world. And everything that comes after this crucial point is a description, a reminder for the Romans of how to live out God's values, God's vision for us as a human community, a vision for the flourishing of all creation, a vision that, yes, requires not conforming to the ways of the empire, because everything in chapter 12 and on is utterly counter to the way of Rome. Instead of domination, share power, because we are all necessary and have gifts to share. Instead of hypocrisy, love with genuineness and affection. Instead of violence, infuse all you do with love and care and humility. Instead of warfare, feed your enemies. Instead of hoarding, redistribute your wealth. Act with accountability towards those most deeply impacted by the empire's sword. Protect each other's dignity. Stand firm under oppression. Be in solidarity with the poor. And love, love, love. That's God's way. That's the way of flourishing. Do not be conformed to the empire's way, but give all of yourselves over to God's way. God is sovereign, not Caesar. Who does it benefit when we reduce the richness of Romans, if we disappear every anti-imperial detail down to a question of how can we find a gracious God. Listen, Paul says, if Caesar claims piety, godliness, as the Pontifex Maximus, do you hear that? Pontifex Maximus, the high priest of the Roman religious cult, quote, sanctifying the violence necessary to order the world. Then I tell you they have exchanged God's truth for a lie. I tell you, the pious are all those that Rome considers impious, ungodly. Listen, under Rome's logic, Abraham is ungodly, impious. Jesus Christ is impious. Jews are impious. That's literal Roman propaganda. Because they obey God's call, not the empires of their day. And God vindicates the impious, and that 
is justice. Listen, if Caesar claims himself as father of the nations, then I tell you Abraham is our ancestor. Your ancestor too, Romans, for God is one, Hashem Echad. And if Caesar claims his works justify his rule, vindicate his violent order, then I tell you it is faithfulness to the one God, faithful trust in the one God that vindicates everyone, whether Jew or Greek. Listen, if Caesar throws around mercy to patronize and make himself look good and offers bribes, gifts as bribes to ensure the patronage of the people, then I tell you, God's mercy is free. If Caesar calls himself the supreme benefactor, then I tell you, only God is the benefactor. And if Caesar claims obedience at the point of the sword, then I tell you, God never coerces obedience. And if Caesar claims he was predestined to rule the world, then I tell you, God predestines everyone God knows. God who knows past, present, and future, and all of those who are called, and all of those are vindicated, and all of those are glorified, everyone. Not for ruling the world, but for love. For living like Jesus, who did not live a life conformed to empire, but who put his body on the line by refusing to give up God's way and gave us life. It's not enough to say you follow Jesus, but depend on the empire to save you. It's not enough to wear mismatched socks, but do nothing else to live counter to the empire's values. We have to live a mismatched life. A life, as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King says, that is maladjusted to the ways of empire in our time. The ways that are sin and death, the ways that are the empire's idolatrous oppression, and the appearance that the empire's justice is God's justice, the appearance that the empire will save us, the appearance that the empire defines life and worth, the appearance that all lives matter to the empire when clearly to the poor and the black and the brown and the indigenous and the women and the immigrants and the Jews and the Muslims and the working class and the queer and trans and the incarcerated and the detained and the animals and the herbs and the land itself, these lives do not matter except to be exploited for their labor, their land, or their wealth. MLK says, the salvation of the world lies in the hands of the maladjusted. That through courageous maladjustment, we will find our way to freedom and justice. That's what Paul is telling us in Romans. We live non-conforming, mismatched, maladjusted, and faithful lives when we resist the ways empire tries to get us to define each other wound each other, separate each other, fear each other, when we resist white supremacy, capitalism, warmongering, mass incarceration, militarization, dominating violence, anti-immigrant fear, homophobia, colonization, and all those ways that the empire feeds the machinery of death, even when those things are embedded deep within our own bodies and minds like horcruxes ticking inside our skin because they are. Which is why Paul says we have to do something with our bodies. Practice God's way with our bodies, where we put them, what we say with them, how we love with them, who we love with them. 
It's why we put our bodies in streets and classrooms and boardrooms and neighborhoods and capitol buildings and city council meetings and church meetings and school meetings and organizing meetings and so many meetings and claim with our voices, these voices that live in our bodies, that black lives matter and not one more deportation and water is life and I love my Muslim neighbor and refugees are welcome here. Why we claim with our voices, even when our bodies shake, that folks without homes should not be criminalized, that black boys playing with toys or walking home should not be murdered by police, that queer folk are welcome just as they are. Why we claim with our voices that the land is not a commodity to be extracted, but a community to which we as humans belong, and that our bodies and minds and hearts belong to God, not to capitalism, to chew up and discard as if we were machines. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice that brings life. In so doing, we join that ages-old resistance movement and we teach our bodies and our minds a new way, God's way, rooting the empire's way out of our very bodies and minds, making room for God inside our flesh and bones, all with the Spirit's help and Jesus' guidance and example, ever proclaiming with our lips that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, that God provides, not the empire, God heals, not the empire. God delivers, God protects, God vindicates, God saves. Amen. For our call to action this week, I want to invite us to do two practices. Both of these are intended to help us think deeply about the propaganda we are being fed by the current manifestation of empire. And don't just do this by yourself. Get some people together and talk it out collectively. Practice number one. I used the phrase, the ways of Rome, a lot earlier. Today we might say, or I might say, the ways of whiteness. So I just want us to sit with this one line from Romans, Romans 6.23. For the wages of whiteness is death. The wages of whiteness is death. Let that work on you. What do you feel when you hear those words? If your immediate thought is, that can't be right, ask yourself why. Ask yourself, who does it benefit for that reading to be wrong? Who does it benefit to keep Romans reduced to an individualistic, personal, private piety? Practice number two. How are we as white progressive Christian folks still thinking the empire will save us? How are we still buying into the empire's logic and propaganda? Here's the question I want us to wrestle with. If somebody, police or ICE, comes to your church door with a warrant for an immigrant, a refugee, a Black Lives Matter activist, your neighbor, what will you do? 
Does a warrant issued by the Empire make their cause any more or less just? If you would hand the person over because of the warrant, whose logic are you following? That's your call to action this week. Be awake to the logics of whiteness and empire that are being embedded in us. What is going to save us? Protecting the bottom line is not going to save us. Avoiding controversy is not going to save us. Passing toothless and fundless resolutions is not going to save us. And I tell you, even impeachment is not going to save us because the empire will still keep rolling. Paul has that clear. Nero killed the previous Caesar to make Rome great again, but Paul ain't fooled. It's still the empire. Its sword is still as deadly as ever. We have to choose. Caesar or God? Well, thank you for joining me today. As always, the transcript this week will include a bunch of resources at the end to support your practices. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. I'll be posting up the next podcast for Palm Sunday. It's almost Palm Sunday already. Oh my goodness. Uh, posting that up the week of April 3rd. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with me there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. And transcripts will be available as well on our website, which includes any references, credits, and copyright information. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.